Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. Yeah, yeah. All right. Good to see you guys. Uh, we are continuing human series. Uh, Pastor Ricky did an awesome job last week just talking about how our habits form our hearts. Uh, he's actually uh, speaking, hanging out with his brother in Fayetteville at our Fayetteville campus. His brother is the campus pastor up there. And uh, so last week, pa- uh, Pastor Ricky and I, we've been talking about uh, different weekends that I'd have him speak. And I knew that last weekend he had a great word prepared, but there was also a message that that I had and that we had been working on. And so when it came to this week, I had really two messages that I was looking at. And I thought, you know, do I, do I wanna go with the message I had to work on last week or do I wanna go with a, a different word for this weekend? And I felt that I needed to circle back and, and do this word. And so uh, I will say that it will feel almost immediately that I'm only talking to a certain group of people, but I know for a fact that it is going to be helpful for every person in this room. Here's the, the verse that we kind of started this whole series off with. In Psalm 103, 14, it says, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Really what this is saying is God knows we're human. Every one of us, it doesn't matter how tough we are at one point or another, we are going to be weak, we're gonna be frail in our humanity. Uh, Paul said it this way, that we are like earthen vessels, that we are, are like jars of clay. How many of y'all remember that group, jars of clay back in the day? Flood, all right, good stuff, good stuff. I don't know what they're doing these days, but it was really good back then. Uh, but here's the thing. Every one of us, we're gonna be weak in some area of our life. We need God, we need his word, we need the body of Christ. And so this whole series has just been talking about what does it mean to be human? but according to the word of God. So you can turn to your neighbor and say, he just called you fragile. You go ahead and tell your, turn to your neighbor and tell him, tell him that you're a little fragile. It's okay. Just offended half the dudes. One of Cody and I's favorite things to do, if I'm, if I'm being honest, is to play the role of matchmaker. And, uh, and the fact is that we have helped a lot of people find the person that they wind up marrying uh, I guess you could say when it comes to matchmaking, our motto is God loves you and we have a plan for your life. And you, as, soon as, as soon as you understand that, uh, I'm joking, kind of, sort of, but, but we actually have some pretty strong success around that subject. Uh, but it is one of the most important decisions that you're gonna make. Really, the first and most important decision that you have to figure out is, am I called to be married? Because you have to understand, not every person is called to be married. And it's important to note that because there's actually in the word a gift of singleness, okay? Now, you will know if you have that gift or not if you never think about or have any desire to get married. Like, you'll know that's your gift, okay? But, but there's also just seasons of singleness that God will call people to, and we should never look at that or look down on that because the word says that when you're single, it's even better because you can do even more for Jesus. You can do even more for his kingdom, okay? So there might be some of you that you are, are not called to be married or you're at least not called maybe in a season that you're in. But once you've figured out if you are called to get married, then outside of your relationship with Jesus, the most important question you will ever answer is, who am I supposed to marry? Who am I supposed to marry? Now, this message is not just for all the single people in here, okay? Although, in this service, we have a few more single people, okay? Hey, shout out YA, all right? Good to see you guys, all right? Wait a minute, it looks like they're like all dating right now, okay? All right, listen up, listen up. We actually have a great YA group here, our young adults. They meet on Saturday night, so shout out to them. God's moving in that group. It's pretty awesome. But, but this is not just for the single people. This is for parents, grandparents. If you have friends that are single, that wanna get married, all of us need to be equipped with some wisdom and some knowledge 
that we can have ready for those seasons of life. Almost all of us, a lot of us, are raising kids, and kids get older. And as kids get older, they're gonna start having these thoughts. Now, here's what I would suggest. Don't wait until your kids are old enough for marriage that you start having discussions. Don't do that. You should start preparing them with wisdom way before they ever bring somebody home to meet mom and dad. You need to start building and laying the foundation of what the word of God says. And you're gonna need to know that. Like, what does this say about this subject, about finding a spouse? The Bible's actually loaded with wisdom on it, loaded with wisdom. So you could call this message how to find the love of your life, but I'd also say this. If you're married, if you're coming out of a season of heartache and pain, coming out of divorce, whatever it might be, you're in the middle of a relationship, but it's not going that good. I believe that if you apply the principles I'm gonna talk about today, man, there is a lot that God wants to heal, restore, refresh. God wants to move if we'll let him. Culture has a lot of opinions about how to do this. Like, how do you find that person? Like, if you ask the Hallmark Channel, they'd say, guys, you need to buy a flannel shirt, some faded jeans, move back home town to, during a holiday and pray for snow. That's, that's what you do. If you'll do that, you'll find love. The bachelor or bachelorette says, well, you just have to have a perfect body, no morals, and have unreasonable expectations. You're gonna get picked up by a helicopter for a five-figure date every time you go out. If you do that, then you can find love. But there's also questions like this, like, is it okay to search for love on an app or on a dating site? Should my friends weigh in? Do I just pray? Do I go to the altar and just pray and then wait and wait and wait and wait? Do I wait sexually? Like, is that out of date? I mean, it seems like I, I don't even know some godly people that don't hold that standard, so what about that? Do we move in together? Around 75% of couples cohabitate before getting married. I've actually heard somebody say it this way, well, wouldn't you test drive a car before you bought it? like you just equivocated her with a car. So that could be a problem. This is the real problem. This is what we have to address. Please understand, I'm not coming from a place of judgment. I don't have to give you my opinion. This says it. This isn't about my opinion. But I do believe that this is the primary issue. The primary issue is too many of us wanna do it our way and then ask God to bless it. Too many of us wanna do it our way and then say, okay, God, you can tag along now. We've kind of figured out what we wanna do. Now you can come and be a part of it. I think many have forgotten, maybe even ignored or don't know what God says about some of these things. There are lots of verses. I'm gonna give you this one, and this one's punchy, but it's the word of God. Hebrews 13, 4 says this, marriage should be honored by all, all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all sexually immoral. Now, I, I, I know that sometimes we get into situations where it's like, no, I, I know it says all, but if you knew my situation, like if you knew how this came to get, like we're the exception. You have to understand that when God says stuff like that, he is not trying to keep you from being happy. He's not trying to be a stick in the mud. He's not trying to keep you from having fun. He's not trying to keep you single or lonely or anything like that. He is trying to protect you because he loves you. 
because he created the whole idea so he knows the right way to go about it. And he just wants us to trust him in the process because if we will trust him with how he would want us to do it, I promise you this, you will be fulfilled. And it'll save you all kinds of problems and heartaches and pain and condemnation and guilt and shame and all those things if we can do this God's way. If we can do this God's way. God created the family. God created the family. And I know that there are a lot of people here, even now, even now, the problem that you're having is like, man, I really want to get married, but where are all the godly people? Like, where are the godly men? Where are the godly women? Like, that may be the challenge you have. Well, I will suggest that sometimes a really good place to start looking is in church. And most of you, I don't have to tell you that because you love Jesus, but you're also here doing a little scoping and hoping too. Like, <laughs> hey, but does he worship? Does he serve? That's all right. As creator, God designed how all this should work and how it is blessed. My prayer for you, my hope for you would be that you will fall in love with God's created plan, his order, and that you are weird. Because quite honestly, normal is dysfunctional and broken and not working. If you live in his order, you will be blessed. So our main text is in Genesis 24. There are some cultural contexts that obviously won't apply completely, but there's the principles within this story that have a lot of things that we can draw from. Just a synopsis, this is at the end of Abraham's life. He's getting a lot older and he feels some alarm bells going off in regards to his son, Isaac. Isaac is 40 years old, he's not married and the prospects that are around don't look good. So Abraham commissions his most trusted servant, his friend to help out. Genesis 24, starting in verse one got your Bibles, Bible apps, follow along. Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way like he promised he would. He said to his senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Let's pump the brakes uh, right there. Okay, so this is called a thigh covenant. This happened in a couple times in the Old Testament. And it was something that existed culturally speaking within that time. And, and as you can imagine, a thigh covenant was like a really, really big deal. It was, it was a, a, an intimate covenant between two trusted friends that if you're, gonna, if you're gonna agree to what we're getting ready to agree on, you're gonna, you're gonna take it really, really seriously, okay? All that being said, I'm thankful for the new covenant in Jesus Christ uh, that we as men are not any longer doing thigh covenants, okay? So, so, and if anybody ever tries to do a thigh covenant with you, uh, you know, I would point them towards a pastor, uh, you know, just there might be something going on. I don't know, but I digress. I want you to, uh, to swear to the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife or my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, okay? This is where God had brought him to, but he knew that he didn't want his son to marry the women that are in that place because they weren't godly. They, didn't, they weren't following the ways of God. But we'll go to my country, to my own relatives. All right, now these are distant relatives, okay? Please understand that. Now, a lot of times in the Bible, people did marry people that were relatively close in relation, different context, different culture, different gene pool, okay? So just gonna throw all that out there. And get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back to me uh, with me to this land. Shall I then take your son back to the country that he came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said, right? Why? Because this is the place, the land that God has set aside for me, okay? So I don't want him to go back there. I just want you to find a wife there, bring her back here. The Lord, the God of heaven, brought me out of my father's household and my native land 
and spoke to me and promised me on an oath saying, to your offspring, I will give this land. I will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there, okay? And that's a huge point. If you want to see God's plan, you want to step in order with how God designed this whole thing, you've got to seek divine guidance. Seek divine guidance. God has to lead the way. Throughout this story, Abraham wants his servant to know that God is gonna get involved. He's a main player in this. This chapter is full of worship, it's full of prayer. There's some supernatural moments that are happening. All because Abraham understands if, if, if we're gonna do this right, God's gotta get ahead. God's gotta be the guide on this. He's gotta be the main character. Have you ever been watching a movie or how many of you, when you watch a movie or you watch a show and you see an actor, especially if it's one of the main actors and you recognize them, but you're not sure where you recognize them from, it bothers you until you figure out what other movie or what other show. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay, thanks for messing up every movie for us people that just wanna watch a movie, okay? Because Cody does the same thing. Like as soon as you get in that place, she's like, who is that? Pause it right now. I'm like, I just wanna watch a movie. Can we just watch it? She's like, no, we're gonna figure this out. She's over there researching, trying to find it. She's like, oh, oh that's what it was. Oh, they played so-and-so in that one movie we watched. I'm like, great. She's like, okay, we can get going. I'm like, are you sure? Like, there's enough peace that we can just enjoy. I, I don't give her that hard of a time and she's really not that big of a stickler on it. Eh. Uh, Here's the deal. When it comes to this story, to your story, to this scene in your life, you better make sure that it's God who is the lead actor on the stage, that he's the one, the one who saved you, delivered you, healed you, gave you second chances and opened doors for you. If he is missing from the equation, you've got a major problem. Don't go there. You must seek divine guidance. And guidance means he's ahead. He's a leading, okay? You don't have a guy that's like, right, y'all run ahead, I'll catch up. It wouldn't be a good guide. A guide leads, but you've gotta be willing to let them lead, let them get out ahead. And when you desire to build your home God's way, and you have that desire, I promise you, God will be faithful and his guidance will come. It'll show up. Be patient. Be patient. But if you're patient, he'll come. And it's really important that you wait and be patient because his timing, his sovereignty is perfect. You can trust his timing. You can trust each step. How many of you have ever put together one of those wooden swing sets, uh, slide sets ever before? Any of you ever put up? Okay, I wanna just pray for every one of these people right now. Cause I, look, I'm just telling you, putting together one of those swing sets, I think it's the hardest thing that any human has ever had to do. Like it, it is ridiculous. There, there are 10,000 pieces. There, there's, a, there's a book, a thick book with like 150 steps. There's more steps in putting one of those together than a real house, I think. Like, and it's way more stressful. And then you get done and there's no plumbing and there's no lights and your kids get bored of it after like two months and it just sits out there, turns green and turns into some sort of an injury maker for a couple or for kids that come over to play. Like that's what happens with those things. But this is the thing, when I was building ours for our kids, I get into this, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like this, I thought I'll go over those, you know, I'm pretty handy, you know, I, I know how to build some stuff. I'll get this knocked out in the afternoon. Four days later, and after recruiting a friend, like, no, we literally were like, hey, y'all wanna hang out with us this weekend? We didn't tell them we were building. Yeah, they showed up and I was like, oh, so glad you guys are here. Yeah, you know, get a drink, you're gonna need it. And, uh, <laughs> Gosh, that thing. But here's the thing, like when you get into that, you'll be like, man, that step doesn't look that important. Please. Like what's the harm of getting done with this and having a few extra bolts, a few extra pieces, you know? Who cares if there's a little bit of duct tape up there holding some stuff together? 
doctor, it'll be fine. But here's the problem. You do it that way, you're going to be going to the emergency room pretty soon. You can't skip the step. The reason why it feels like so many homes are just held together with duct tape is because too many people skip the steps to the right foundation. We've missed the steps that actually hold all this together. So the great news is if you have a bad foundation, you can still go back and God can restore. Even if you got way into this thing, you're realizing even now as I'm talking, it's like, yep, man, we built a thing that is basically held together with Elmer's glue and duct tape and wishful thinking. Okay, if you're seeing that, then dig down. Get back to your foundation. You can start. God is the God of second chances. You can get this right. Even if you're 30 years into doing it wrong, you can start fresh right now. And it is not too late. It's not too late. There's something you've got to lock into with this. In this instance and throughout the Old Testament, there's this thread of this spiritual battle that's happening in the, in, throughout the Bible. And here's the battle. God is preserving a bloodline for the Messiah to come through. And Satan, who is terrified of God's plan, hates God's plan, is trying to pervert, shortchange, and devalue what God is working to preserve. And ultimately, Jesus, the savior of the world, is born through the bloodline that this story is setting up. Okay, so here's a really important question, and here's the answer to the question. Another question is, what is God in his sovereignty trying to preserve right now from Jesus until we go to heaven? What is he fighting for? I believe he is fighting for faith-filled, spirit-filled, God-centered homes and marriages. That is what he's fighting for. And Satan is trying to do everything he can to pervert, to weaken, to confuse, and to cause people to walk away from the standard of the word of God and his instruction. The word is clear. And even Paul, Paul, like Paul is dogmatic about this. 2 Corinthians 6.14, stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. Can right and wrong be partners? Can light have anything in common with darkness? Can a believer share life with an unbeliever? Another translation, verse 14, do not unite yourselves with an unbeliever. They're not fit mates for you. If you want God's best, I wanna tell you right up front, don't ever consider somebody who is not fully committed to Jesus Christ. The problem is some of you, you're in it right now and you're with somebody that's not fully. You're, in fact, you're here at church and they're not because you're fully committed and they're not. That doesn't mean that they're not the one that God hasn't called you to. It means you walk your purpose, you pray, you stand in the gap, you intercede, you do everything you can to be obedient to God's plan, purpose for your life and wait on his faithfulness, wait on his plan. He is faithful. I have seen it happen over and over and over again. You would not believe the power of a praying wife or a praying husband. You can trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. You be faithful with what he's given you. But if you're not there yet, or maybe you went there and you're out of there, and now you're thinking, what's the next season? Don't even consider the next season with somebody who is not fully committed to Jesus Christ. That he's the middle, the center, the most important thing. I wanna give you a couple cold, hard facts of life. These are not preferences, these are facts. National Survey reported in Marriage Magazine, one out of every two marriages in America will end in divorce. That is not a very encouraging stat and not good odds, but listen to this. When a couple is spiritually unified, and what I'm talking about is they're both believers and they both individually, before they got married, but certainly when they get married, they practice three primary biblical disciplines. They attend church, they're connected to the body of Christ, they pray and pray together, 
they read or read the Bible together, the divorce rate drops from one out of every two to one in every 1,574 marriages. Why? Because that's God's design. And when you follow his design, man, you're so much stronger. Do you wanna gamble? Do you wanna gamble? Hey, 50% chance this is gonna work. I wouldn't roll those dice. I wouldn't go there. Seek divine guidance from the word of God, from mentors who love you and who know you, okay? I don't mind you getting the opinion of your friend, your peers, that's fine. But your good counsel is not gonna come from your besties. I'm sorry, your besties don't have the moral authority yet to give you any kind of counsel. Like, no, my one friend, she's been married for like two years and it is just going great. I'm like, okay, you don't know Jack yet. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but you, you haven't, nothing's, in two years, not a lot's been tested. They don't even have kids yet. They don't have, any, they, don't have they don't even have one kid, all right? Which one kid, you know, for those of us that have multiple kids, it's like that one kid, it's like, man, it's like a really amazing accessory that we get to dress up and bring places with us, right? Like things start getting real. Like when multiple kids come along, like if you're gonna find counsel, find it from someone who's been there. Look for those people that are demonstrated, demonstrating what you believe and what you can see as godly attributes of a godly marriage and relationship. You can get your friend's opinion on like, what do you guys think? Oh, he's so dreamy, he's so great, he's perfect for you, okay. But that's about that deep. You're gonna need a lot better counsel than that to make those kinds of decisions. No offense to all your besties, but, but I don't really care what your besties think, sorry. Okay, what are the facts about Rebecca's character? Because character is gonna be what matters. We can't go on what their potential is in this scenario. Like, I, I just see so much inside of them. I, I, man, they can just, I think they're just, someday they're just gonna be the best mom or dad, or I just see so much potential inside them. Or, but they have a great heart. They have a, no, you don't wanna go on that. You don't wanna get some weird ant with rocks and be like, I'm gonna read what the rocks say or get your horoscope. Or, or have a dream and have somebody interpret it. Don't go with any of that. You're gonna need some hard facts. Who is this person? Which means you're gonna have to have the patience and the time and the wisdom and intuition to look at their character. How does their character display? Feelings cannot be what drives this decision. Because feelings will lie to you. They'll tell you all kinds of, he just swept me off my feet. What I've learned is when you make decisions about this decision in your life based on they swept me off my feet, I promise you it's just a matter of time. They're gonna drop you on your butt. It's gonna happen. It's gotta be more than feelings. Okay, so let's go to the characteristics that Rebecca demonstrated. And by the way, as I get into this, just so you know, I am raising my boys to look for a Rebecca. I am raising my girls to look for an Abraham. So even if this doesn't apply to you with whether you're gonna get married or not, if you're raising kids, let the word of God set the standard for the kind of people that you're looking for for your kids to get married to and start speaking that into them early, early. You don't have to settle. You don't have to compromise your standards. You are created wonderfully and fearfully. Don't wait or compromise, or don't compromise on anything. Wait until God provides. Genesis 24, verse 15. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel or Malachi who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin, no man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar and came back up again. The servant hurried over to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my Lord, she said quickly, lowering the jar 
to her hands and giving him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I will draw water for you, for your camels too, until they all had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back down to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all of his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. What's he watching? Character. Not just what she says, but what she does, her actions. Watching all this. One thing you can see right away is Rebecca is a servant. She is a servant. Okay, so if you are married and you're in trouble, it could be because you have gotten to a place where you're really consumed with how the other person serves you and have lost the character of Christ and how you can serve them. Because marriage is the physical manifestation and representation of Christ's love for us. What did Christ do first? He served. He served. A lot of the issues with people going into marriage is they are looking at the other person with a checklist of all the different ways that that person can serve their needs. And the problem with that is when you get into that marriage and things change, and that person isn't always this amazing, handsome, or beautiful, or whatever, or romantic, or whatever, then we start thinking, they don't serve me and what I need the way they used to. I deserve to be served. I deserve to be happy. And then you will quickly start looking for somebody else who can serve what you deserve. And you will even manipulate and lie to yourself about God's plan and God's purpose and say, God would want me to be happy. No. God would want you to have character and integrity and to be like him. That's what he wants. He wants you to be transformed into his likeness. The number one thing Christ does is he serves. But I also wanna tell you this, if you can switch it around, if you can switch the mindset, if you're in the middle of it, or certainly if you're going into it, if you can make it, I wanna be a servant. I wanna be a servant. The most powerful, the most strong, the most anointed, the most passionate marriages that I know about is when there's a man and a woman that are constantly looking how they can outserve the other person. It is on like Donkey Kong when you got a marriage like that. I'm just telling you right now. When it starts drifting to what I deserve, that they're not doing, you're in trouble because you're drifting away from the character of Christ. She offers to give a stranger a drink of water and then waters his 10 camels. That's what most theologians believe, 10 camels. Do you know how much water a camel drinks? Okay, she's got, she's got a jar of water. I don't know, this might, I mean, she might be bowed up, you know? She might be like a CrossFit chick and like carrying around a 15 gallon, you know, jar around on her shoulders, you know? Like, she may have been like that, I don't know. But it probably wasn't, it's probably like, you know, three or four gallons of water that fit in this jug. Let's just, let's just say that, okay. A camel in one setting will drink 25 gallons of water, okay? She's having to go up and down this embankment 80 to 100 feet, 250 gallons of water. This probably took her a couple hours to do. And she just kept at it. I'm not that good of a servant to my wife. Like I get ticked and she gets home from the grocery store and she's like, James, can you get that package of water out of the back of my car? I'm like, oh, what do we have kids for? I mean, for real. Yeah. Which, I mean, I do have a point. Let's just be honest there. I mean, how is their character gonna develop, you know? But these verses teach us a lot about her soul as well. 
She's selfless. If you are selfish or you find somebody who's selfish, there will be no joy. She's generous. If you are greedy or you find someone that's greedy, you'll be broke, in debt, and there will be no love. She has work ethic. I think it says something about her. She's kind to animals. She's hospitable. She has leadership. She takes on responsibility. Outside of him asking her for the initial drink of water, the rest of it was, I got this. I'm gonna step up. I'm gonna lead. And she had inward beauty, okay? I want you to think about this. She just got done doing like a CrossFit competition. All right? She's sweaty. She, I'm like, she's not like, is my makeup still on point? Like, you know, like there's no Instagram filter that's gonna cover this up. Like she is covered in sweat and dirt and grime. And the Bible says she's beautiful. And she was beautiful. And she was beautiful. First Peter 3, 3. What matters is not your outward appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inward, inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. God delights in. The holy woman of old were beautiful before God that way. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be physical attraction, especially initially, like, like that, that probably needs to be there. The point is this, whatever you build a relationship on is what you have to sustain it on. So if your relationship is built on whether or not they have money, it has to be sustained on that. And eventually that greed will poison your heart. If, if the relationship is built on their attractiveness, on how fine they are, and that's a primary driving factor, it's gotta be sustained on that. Well, here's the problem. Gravity works. Not every, things are not gonna stay in the same places. Metabolism flees like a thief in the night. You turn 40, things change. You're not sore anymore because you worked out. You're sore because you slept <laughs> in a bed. Your pillow will punish you for days. It's supposed to comfort you. What are you gonna sustain it on? That's why if you're building it on God's plan, purpose, and direction for who you are individually, first and foremost, the great thing is this, you are partnered up with the one who will sustain. He will help sustain. And he'll help you appreciate and love and cherish what's really beautiful. Seek God's vision. Seek God's vision. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or another. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So she, they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. Uh, stranger, stranger danger. No, the, the thing is they could see the hand of God moving in the whole situation because their eyes were tuned into it. And so it gets to a place where it's like, it's clear that this is from God. But she had a spirit of faith about her. Like, because she could see God working in this, she just said, I'm in it. Like, I'm here for it. I don't even know, but I can see because I have godly, eternal vision for my life. I can see him moving. And so I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna trust. I'm gonna step out and I'm gonna step into this. A spirit of faith means this. I can see what God is up to and I'm gonna move with him. 
And you've got to be able to see and test this too. Do you have godly vision for your life first and foremost? And does the person that you're looking at, do they have godly vision, eternal vision for their life too? Because the way it has worked for Cody and I is this way. We have life purpose and our calling from God overlap each other and work together, okay? And that's not just because I work in ministry. This, this applies to any career choice, but it has to start with this. Can we see that whatever we do in life, we are going to see it through the lens of the kingdom of God in eternity, everything. Everything. If I'm a builder, I see everything I do through the lens and the opportunity of the kingdom of God and his glory. If I make spreadsheets or work at a bank, I'm gonna see everything through the eyes of the kingdom, his, his glory. I'm gonna see it all from an eternal perspective. And when you find two people that understand that and you overlap those callings and visions, man, that is a marriage that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. You gotta have that. Again, if you don't have it right now, it's not too late. You can get that vision. You can get it. You can get it. And I would say this, to be able to really see how this play out, it's not a flashbang. It's not a flash. It's more like a sunrise. You're gonna see this begin to be revealed. Light will come onto this. You'll see it in your own life and then you'll begin to see it maybe in their life. If marriage keeps you from your eternal purpose, then you've missed the point of marriage because the point of marriage is to be partners in God's calling, in God's purpose. That comes through God giving you a vision, God giving you a dream that's bigger than just this life. So when I met Cody, I'm getting ready to wrap this up. Uh, here's, here's what happened. I went to Bible school. I, I spent a year at Bible school where I said, I'm not gonna date anybody. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna focus on God. I'm gonna focus on my relationship with God. So I spent a year, my first year in Bible school. And when I came to the end of that year, I was like, okay, I, I committed that year, but I'm, I'm gonna see, you know, how's it going? You know, it, so I stayed, started dating this girl. And and like, she, it got serious on her behalf, like way quick. Like within two weeks, she's talking about marriage. Well, kind of, just so you know, ladies, that'll freak any dude out, okay? Uh, I wouldn't go there. But, but I was like, I don't know. It might be from God. We're trying to do this relationship the right way. She loved Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm like, it could be the case. But here's the thing. I'm going back to Bible school. I, I'm not gonna deviate from this path in this season of my life. I won't, I will not do that. And she, and she was like, that's okay, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. I will wait for you. I was like, okay, well, great. Those are eyelashes, guys. <laughs> like, she has something like a growth. It was, that's when you, okay. Uh, so I go back, she's in San Antonio. I'll go back to Colorado within two weeks. She, she gives me a call and she says, hey, I couldn't wait any longer. And I'm dating your friend from high school. And I'm like, okay, cool. But that worked out. But honestly, it messed with me a little. It was like, man, I try to honor the Lord of the season of my life. And then I try to date this girl. And then I thought she was like godly and all this. And she's all serious and everything. And then she breaks up with me when I'm not there for two weeks and starts dating my friend from high school. So then I went, and I remember I was talking to my friend, getting ready to start my second year, and I'm, I we're driving up Academy Boulevard there in Colorado Springs. We're heading back up to the, to the campus because the first year orientation is getting ready to start for all the new first year students. And we're driving, and I say, you know what? I, 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 you know what? I'm, I'm back to just, I need, I'm going to be committed to another season of singleness. I'm just going to go back to that. I, I, I clearly couldn't see things clearly. And I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna be committed to another single season of singleness. I just wanna tell you, you're my friend. You can hold me accountable. So we get back to the church and we go inside and I saw Cody. And I went back over to my friend and I say, hey, you know that season of singleness I was telling you about? 
Well, God, you know, he works in mysterious ways. And I think he's calling me out of that season. (laughs) But the cruel trick is this. Cody had committed to not dating anyone for her first year at Bible school. So even when I when I started falling in love with Cody, like, or I was at least attracted to her, like I, could, I couldn't even do anything about it because I knew she had made this commitment and I didn't want to be a stumbling block for her. So I, I, I did my best to, to just leave it alone. So I just stalked her for a year, basically. I really did. I just like, <laughs> like creeped on her all the time. Like, what kind of character does she have? <laughs> my precious. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. I wasn't that bad. It might've been. But uh, a lot of this is completely useless information, but, but the, what I'm getting ready to say is not. Because I remember as we got through the year, we would have these prayer and fasting retreats that we would do almost every month. And we were up at a church and there was a prayer chapel there. I'd been hanging out, talking with some friends. I've told this maybe before, but I was hanging out with some friends and it was like two o'clock in the morning, right? And I was getting ready to just like leave and go to bed. And there are glass doors on, the, on this chapel where you can see into the chapel. And as I'm walking by, out of the corner of my eye, I, I see somebody in there pacing, you know? So I was like, I looked in there and Cody was in there. And she didn't see me, but she was just in there seeking the Lord. Just seeking the Lord, just like, just oh, passionate, just interceding. I don't know what she was praying about, you know? She may have been praying for, you know, her future husband. And she didn't know, but I was looking at her right then, you know. But it was probably way deeper than that. But, but there, were two, there were two thoughts, okay. One, I'm still a dude, so I'm like, she fine. My girl, so fine. But, but right after that was this thought, man, That's what I'm in love with. Because I knew in that moment, whatever happened, if it did or didn't, but if it did, if it happened that God would bring us together, I knew that she was gonna do that with or without me for the rest of her life. And I was gonna do that with or without her for the rest of my life. And I knew that if two people could come together, they were gonna make the decision that every day they were gonna wake up with passionate pursuit of their identity in Christ. If two people would make the decision to do that individually, that if God would bring two of those people together, man, they could be powerful for the kingdom of God. But it wasn't gonna be built in codependency or dependency on a person. It was gonna be built on a foundation of a relationship and intimacy with Jesus. And when you build it on that, nothing can break it. Nothing. That's what I fell in love with. So if you're raising kids or you're in a place of singleness, don't settle. You fall in love with someone who's gonna love Jesus with or without you. Because if you find somebody that has their identity completely in Christ, when you're a bonehead, when you mess up, it won't destroy their world because their dependency is not on you, it's in Jesus and Jesus will keep them connected to their vision and to eternity and help them actually pray effective prayers to get you out of your dumb self for a little bit. God will work that way. He'll do that. I've gone way long, but some of us need this desperately. Run for Jesus hard with everything that you have. And someday as you're running hard for Jesus, if you glance over and somebody's running about the same pace as you, keep running, but glance every once in a while and see if they're still with you. And if they are, if you're a dude, just say, hey, how you doing? And then if you're a girl, you can say, call me. Not text, get these boys talking. They are like cavemen. Hey, you wanna get some food? Food, like food, food. (laughs) Talk, use the words in your mouth. But seriously, 
try it out. Like, hey, they got muffins at church. You want a muffin? <laughs> Do you? Get you a coffee, too. We can sit over there and have a conversation. Find out if they love Jesus. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. may not be the best setup for a salvation invitation, except that this. If you have a desire and you know that God has called you to be married, you don't have a chance of it being anywhere close to what it's supposed to be if you're not fully surrendered to Christ. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, this applies in, in every area of it. Definitely applies right here in this subject. Like, so if you've never surrendered to him, if you, if you know that you don't have a genuine relationship with your heavenly father, maybe because you've never come to him, you've never had that relationship or you thought you did, you, you said a prayer one time, you thought you were saved, but in your heart right now, you have no confidence about eternity. You have no confidence that you're near him. Well, it may just be that. Let's give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you just need to come back to him. Rededicate your life to him. And I wanna give that opportunity right now. And if you're here and you sense that in your spirit, like, man, I don't, I don't have a real relationship with God. Then I'd encourage you, be bold, don't hesitate. Be obedient, trust him. But if you're in that place, I'd love to pray with you. I'm gonna ask you just to be vulnerable, but bold enough to admit it. I need him. Put your hand up right now. Nobody's looking around, put your hand up. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got you, bro. Anyone else? I need Jesus. I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him and I need him. Anybody else? Okay. Father God, I thank you so much. I only saw one hand, but God, I know that you would have come. You would have sent your son, Jesus, if it was just for that man. And thank you, Lord, for demonstrating that love. I wanna encourage you. The word says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you, are, you can be saved. And so there's kind of two parts to that. Now, part of that you're doing right now, it's you believing in your heart. But you need to confess it. Tell somebody as soon as the service is over, we're gonna have a, a chance in a couple of weeks for water baptism. That's a great way to go public with your faith. But let's have a conversation with the Lord right now. Something like this. You can say it loud enough for your own ears to hear it or, or just in your heart, it's fine. Like I said, you need to, to declare that you've made this decision. But you can say, they say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross. You paid the price as a perfect sacrifice for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death so that I can live a life and life to the full, that I can have purpose in here. Thank you. I know the only way I can be the person that you've called me to be is I can't be the boss of my life. I can't be the one in control. You have to be. And so I repent. I turn away from the way that I have been living and I turn towards you. Thank you. Thank you for loving me, accepting me, giving me a new life. Father, as we get ready to go into this last song, I thank you that even now you're preparing hearts. Lord, there's a move that needs to happen in some of us, in some of our marriages, the relationships that we're currently in. And I invite you, Holy Spirit. I invite you. 
You're the only one that can bring conviction. You're the only one that can change hearts. But we're in this space and we're open to how you want to move right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I just feel like this needs to just remain uh, a moment for ministry. I feel convicted that, you know, some of y'all have seen that there, there are little, there's little revivals that are breaking out right now. And a lot of it is happening at college campuses. And that makes a lot of sense to me. A lot of revivals started with young people. The Jesus movement started at college campuses. And, and I think it's a lot of the same reason why Jesus picked these young men for his disciples. Most of the disciples were probably in their early 20s. And I think the reason why that happens is because he knows they're passionate. He, he knows that they don't have as many responsibilities. He knows that there's, there's a level of innocence that's there. There's a lot of different reasons. And, and I, I'm thankful for that. And I believe that God is gonna move in our high schools. He's gonna move in our schools. He's gonna, the, the, the collide weekend, this next weekend could be a major, major, major catalyst for a lot of the things that God's gonna do. But for our community, I believe this revival is gonna start in our homes. It's gonna start in marriages or whatever structure your home is. Single moms, single dads, whatever the structure of your home is, if it is consecrated and set aside for God's glory and for his kingdom, God wants the, the, the revival for our community to start there. It can't if we're not being honest. We're not being real. I don't know every story in this room. I know some of them, but I do know this. If we are truly desperate for the presence of God to manifest, we have to repent. We have to be honest. What happened in Asbury started with a young man standing up and confessing sin that was happening in his life. And then it spread from there. And I'm not asking you to do that in this room, but maybe God is. But our prayer team's down here. You can trust these people, but it may be somebody else. You need to just go confess, get clean, get clean. Don't let anything stand in the way or inhibit God's perfect plan and purpose for your life. He can heal your marriage, I promise. It doesn't matter how jacked up you've made it. He is infinitely better at healing than you can ever be at breaking. He can do it, but you gotta be transparent. You gotta be humble. You gotta be honest. You gotta be willing. He can do it. No matter where you're at, even if you're in a place where it's like, man, I know that we're messing around with this whole honor marriage thing. I know we're not doing this completely the way that God would want us to do it. Okay, God can give you the grace to turn that thing around. It may mean that you have to change some things. You may have to change a living situation. You may have to change some of those. And you may think like, man, I don't know this financially, all that. No, be obedient, God will provide. You respond, he'll take care of the rest, I promise. And we'll do anything we can help do to help too. I'm desperate for us to fulfill God's plan and purpose for our church. I don't want anything to get in the way of it. And all I can do is provide the opportunity for people to respond. So if it's here, fine. If it's somewhere else, fine. But respond. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Let's get this right. I want to pray. Lord, during this song, as we worship you, I pray that you would move in people's hearts. God, I've gone so long. I, I know that nobody's probably even thinking about that more than I am. But God, if anybody is thinking about that, <laughs> if hundreds of students can stay in your presence for 12 days, can we tarry God for a few minutes? I'm willing however long it takes, God. God, would you move right now? Move, move people to conviction, move people to repentance, 
Move people to healing. Move people to restoration right now in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.